You're listening to the Unheld in News and Review and Pharisee Watch brought to you by We Hold These Truths. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Just as in Jesus' day, Pharisees still walk the earth. Among them today are the celebrity Christians who support wars in the Middle East to protect Israel. In our Pharisee Watch portion of the program, we feature stories about the unchristlike acts of these modern-day Pharisees. Our programs are led by Charles E. Carlson, the founder of We Hold These Truths, and author and editor of the Pharisee Watch, and unheralded news features on our website, whtt.org. Joining Chuck are four other founders of We Hold These Truths, Travis Steele is the owner of Steele Engineering. Mark Horton is the president of Ultra Clean Corporation. Chuck McCollum is the owner of Oakshade Development. And Tom Compton is a retired sales engineer and your announcer. Our reader is We Hold These Truths faithful volunteer and dramatist Leslie Ford. Welcome to our podcast. In today's Pharisee Watch and Unheralded News, we're talking about Insanity. Is it rampant in the world, or is there a lot of planning here? We are going to be talking about a couple things. The war drums for a war against Iran are still being beaten here in the United States and in Israel. And we have war beats of another kind by our Christian Zionists. We call them the bloodthirsty brothers in Christ, who are behind these serial wars. We've talked about this for years. We're going to have a vigil in Nashville, Tennessee. And Chuck will talk to you about that. And we want to go over the letter to the pastor there and talk about it because this is a conference about Islam. It's Islamophobia that's rampant throughout the United States, particularly in the Christian community, seem to lap it up. They love to hate Muslims. They want to know about it, but most of what's coming out is basically 99 more ways to hate Muslims. To start off, I want to mention an article here from Haritz, the Israeli paper, and this is an opinion piece by Gideon Levy, who really is very good. Now, he's entitled this, Insanity Not Logic Guides Israel's Leadership. And he says right here, quote, There is no way to rationally explain the beating of the drums of war against Iran. The risks of an Israeli attack are clear, and they are horrific. The danger of Iran using a nuclear weapon is nil, and yet Israel is playing with the fires of hell. Israelis, in fact, are saying they prefer a barrage of thousands of missiles, which will bring blood and destruction now to the future imagery risk of the suicidal weapon by quote-unquote crazy Iran that they prefer system-wide insanity with clear threats and open preparations for what could become an Israeli suicide mission. And then he goes on down further. The only conclusion from all the above is that there is an illogical leadership in the Middle East, but it is not necessarily in Tehran. Fear, partly false fear, dwells in Jerusalem, the outcome of the fear-mongering and demonization that is always present here regarding everything from swine flu to the Iranian nuclear program. Alongside it is the megalomania that says that Israel can call the shots in the region as it sees fit. The men's men 
who are threatening Iran now are the real cowards' cowards. The brave ones are, in fact, those who are trying to thwart the insanity from former Mossad chief Mayor Dagan to Interior Minister Eli Yashai. And the reference there, unquote, the reference, there are people, former ministers and so forth, Eli Yashi is an interior minister, current minister, and Mayor Dragon was the former chief of the Mossad. So he's expressed some opposition there. So there are opposition. So the question is, this is, is it insanity? What do you think, Chuck? Give us your comments here. Well, I, I think Gideon Levy's good, and he's making a good argument to the uh, people in a way. He's making an uh, appeal to the Israelis that this is insanity, uh, that they run this great risk. However, there is a school of thought that the armaments that are held by Israel and the United States combined are so great that Iran can really do practically nothing. Iran has only 60 million people, I guess, compared to our 300 million. They've got a very small gross national product compared to ours and a very, very small military, and a lot of their military is old junk. So whether or not Levy is right or not, I don't know, but uh, it, it seems that both the U.S. and Israel think that they can demolish Iran before Iran really does any real damage to anyone. And this only points out the idea that we've written about in the past, that our leaders really do want a big fight. They don't want a little stingy war that's over with in a few weeks and is all forgotten. Uh, they don't want a surgical removal of a, of a nuclear plant or something like that. If, uh, if they get into this, they really are planning something economic that will last another 10 years. That's really what they probably have in mind. So I, I disagree with uh, Levy the, of what the motive is, but I appreciate his article nevertheless, a warning to the Israelis. Well, they suffer from the same problem that we have, Chuck, the military-industrial complex. In fact, one of the pieces I did read here recently, the new fighter, the uh, F-35, which is coming out very shortly, and Israel is going to be buying some of these. And the argument in this particular article from Haritz was to wait until this came out because it was going to be super powerful and so much better than what they've got suggesting to hold up the war until they get a bigger gun? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Well, but a there's always going to be more guns produced, yeah. and that's the whole point is that we do have a industrial military complex In that's, place. that's fed by wars. And, of course, you need equipment to make the wars go, and you need military uh, to do that. Well, I would like to think that this is just a priming operation designed to pump up our defense establishment by creating the threat of war. However, I'm fearful that the planners know, as I believe, that the American people are, are are not going to fall for that this time. They're not going to really go for that. So what the plan more likely would be would be to have Israel trigger a, a war and then the U.S. join in. Oh, my, we must. Right, as a, as a pretext, yeah. right, and then people would be behind. Because we know, as we've talked about many, many times, that wars are actively supported by the Christian evangelical right here in the United States, particularly if they see it has to do anything to do with Israel and protecting Israel. So there is this campaign, as we talked about 
earlier to discredit Islam, uh, Islamophobia, about false idea that the Muslims are coming here to overtake our government and all kinds of things. And that's what we want to go into next is the upcoming vigil at a cornerstone church. Now, we don't know if this is somehow connected to the cornerstone church of John Hagee in San Antonio. It has the same name. You haven't been able to find that out. Yes, uh, I don't think so. I believe this is a free enterprise church. Just like Hagee, this guy would be very competitive with Hagee. If they're in the same room, they probably wouldn't get along. They're both building big congregations. Uh, there's, this one has either three or four, close to three or close to 4,000 members. I've forgotten which. And the owner of the church, I like to call him the owner, also has another one uh, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, that he rides herd on. So he makes uh, only one. These are huge churches. He does only one service in the morning at Madison near Nashville, and then gets in his Cadillac and bombs on down the road to Bowling Green to do the late service there. So he has, he's basically running two churches, big, big business. I would get, and their Assembly of God, by the way, is their, uh, is their attachment. Okay, well, that's interesting because the Cornerstone Church in Fresno, California, where we had a vigil, is also Assembly of God. And the pastor, the only reason I asked that, the pastor there was affiliated with John Hagee through Christians United for Israel. And that was one of the reasons that church there was picked, because of it hosting John Hagee Christians United for Israel events. I haven't seen where this church has done that yet. If they've done that, it's not apparent. I'll know more after I've been there, though, and I'm... Well, why don't we have we'll have Leslie read the letter here, and it'll become apparent from the letter, and we'll discuss it afterwards. Leslie, would you read the letter to Pastor Mari Davis and Saf? Dear Pastor Mari Davis, Project Straight Gate has organized peace vigils on public right of ways outside many churches around the country. They have been supported and co-sponsored by Christ followers. Muslims, and Jews who long for peace. We will begin our visits to your church at the Friday conference and on Sunday, November 13th, in time for your morning service. Our friends in Nashville have pointed out to us that you have agreed to host a conference called the Preserving Freedom Conference on the evening of November 11th, featuring Robert Spencer and Pamela Geller. These speakers are inflammatory, anti-Islamists who engender, if not openly advocate, war in Iran. This program is not about Sharia law or jihad as it pretends. It is about war. You should know the U.S. is on the brink of attacking Iran. It does not need Christians to throw gasoline on the flame. One or more hotels canceled the event with good reason, and you picked it up out of the gutter. Jesus' church is not a war maker. As best I can tell, not a grade of Christianity is presented to the audience at these programs. Jesus is left out entirely for the simple reason that he does not fit into a hate agenda. 
One of the large signs that will be displayed in front of Cornerstone Church next Sunday will ask the question, Who would Jesus bomb? Every child knows the answer. Have you not had enough of war in your lifetime? Did you not once claim that war made a killer of yourself? Jesus' forgiveness is always conditional on repentance, or do you think otherwise? He told the prostitute at the temple she was forgiven because she believed in him, but he sent her home with a stern warning she must, quote, sin no more, unquote. It is clear from your own public statements that you claim forgiveness for sins at least as grievous as those of the prostitute. I found your history with a Google search. How can you tell your congregation you are forgiven by the mercy of God when you continue to aid and abet those who support murder and war? How can you use the church you claim is God's property for such a purpose? Our prayer is that you will examine your position and make a Christ-like commitment to oppose the continued American slaughter in the Middle East and the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Evangelical churches and their members should be, but are not, the most peace-seeking persons on the globe. Your members are not peacemakers because of your support of Israel, a nation at war with its neighbors for all of its existence and the only country in the world that openly imprisons an entire population at gunpoint. Jesus is believed by all Christ followers to have said, For as much as you have done it, he gave examples of both kindness and evil, to the least of my brothers you have done it unto me. Please do not draw on cultic lies to claim this does not apply to Palestinian and Iranian children. If you enable those who promote the killing of even one innocent person, you do that evil unto Jesus. We invite you to show us where Jesus ever made even one statement that allowed a Christian to approve or participate in taking the life or the home of an Iraqi, Afghani, Palestinian, or Persian, most especially the lives of women and children, who are always the victims of war. Please cancel the meeting and turn to peace. Feel welcome to come outside and meet us in front of your church on November 13th toward the straight gate, Charles E. Carlson. Thank you. Chuck, that was another excellent letter. I would be amazed if you get a response from this. Typically, we don't get responses many times the advance warning gives the pastor a chance to tell the congregation to ignore them. That's certainly true, and also we've had people pretend they never got the letter. And uh, in this case, we didn't uh, have time to send the letter by certified mail, so we just sent it to all the other members of the pastoral staff, of which there were seven. And so they also it should be have gotten around the church by now, and of course they will all stand up for the pastor. There's an added factor to this particular vigil that we haven't seen before. This program being hosted here is more outrageous than anything that we've perhaps seen. It is so bad that two major hotel chains canceled the scheduled program where they were housing 
the convention or the conference, all-day conference. One of them was a, a Hilton, I believe, chain, and the other one was uh, Hyatt, Hyatt Regency, that was one of the hosts that actually canceled one of these meetings. And the the former group, the uh, vice president of the company, who spoke about this when asked, said if we would have had any idea of what this program was all about when they rented the thing, we would not have rented them the rooms in the first place. So they made no bones about it being the outrageous program that caused them to boot the uh, group out. The program, of course, is going around saying that they were pressured, that the Muslim hate groups have put the pressure on them and scared the hotels. Probably quite unlike that. It's very, very obvious what these people are all about. I've been studying Pamela Geller and Robert Spencer, the keynote speakers in this program, and their statements they make, they both are broadly circulated on the Internet, and they have opposition who consider them to be the craziest people going. One of the sites that opposes them is called Looney Watch or something like that. These people are incredibly loony, really. They, They go far beyond the pale. They are so adamant in their hatred of Muslims that they that they talk about things like deporting everyone, and uh, they engage conversations with all kinds of people who are on their websites who are equally fanatical. It's it's sort of a fanatical cult, so it's not even logical and sensible. And in fact, neither Spencer nor Geller seem to get around to ever talking about war in Iran. What they're really just doing is conditioning. Christian Zionists and people who come to these meetings, which are very much associated with a Tea Party, to uh, absolute hatred of all Muslims and to kind of treat them as someone who should be exterminated or incarcerated or run out of the country. But in the process of doing this, of course, they're engendering uh, a hatred that would, of course, allow anyone who listened to these people to uh, simply shrug their shoulders and accept any kind of a event, even a nuclear bombing of Iran, would probably be uh, considered as acceptable to the people who listen to Pam Geller and Spencer. But Chuck, they're no different from the United States government. We talked about this on another one of our podcasts about the Homeland Security funding, paying for experts on Islam, like the fraud Walad Shubad, who's been proven as a fraud by the Jerusalem Post, claimed he was a terrorist and he he wasn't. There's no proof to that. He lied about it. So we've got our government and Walad Shubat at a conference in South Dakota earlier this year said that all Muslims that go to a mosque should be watched. So we've got this almost mass hysteria in the United States and it is fashionable to be wary of Muslims. Yeah, and, and this this is the far loony end of this hysteria, and it is strange that this is so closely connected to the Tea Party. One of the conferences that was canceled was actually called a Tea Party conference. So it's pretty odd, really, and there's another strange development on this, and that is something we discovered about Pastor Davis, Maury Davis, M-A-U-R-Y Davis is his name. When we got to looking at this church, I did a little Google search on Maury Davis, and someone had connected his name to murder. So I did a little Google search on murder Maury Davis, and I came up with an incredible story 
from one of the Nashville newspapers. It's a weekly paper, and it's written by one Brentley Hargroves, and I actually found Brentley Hargroves. He's now moved, uh, he now works for a different paper in Dallas, Texas. But on June 18th, 2009, he wrote a story about Pastor Davis in which he explained, he, he went into a detailed a research project onto the trial for murder of this pastor that occurred some 25 or 30 years ago. Uh, no, it was on January 27, 1975, when Pastor Davis, a young man at that time who had just graduated from military school, uh, a military high school, one of those prep schools, deliberately murdered a 60, I believe a 61-year-old mother, and uh, he did it with a Bowie knife in which he almost decapitated her. And he did it because, according to the trial, uh, she somehow accidentally, uh, during a house showing, he was uh, looking at a house she was had for sale for her son, and she uh, somehow kicked over a bucket of paint that was there in the house, and it spilled on Davy's boots, and he promptly slaughtered her right there and left her in a pool of blood, literally choking to death and strangling in her own blood. And he was subsequently arrested and eventually served only eight years for first-degree murder due to some various flukes that took place in his trial. And uh, without going into a lot more detail, we've actually provided the link to this amazing story. I could hardly believe it when I read it, that this same man is the man who's the head pastor of these two big churches and is the financial mogul and uh, lives in a million-dollar gated community home and so on and so forth. According to the murder victim's son, who was a college student at the time, Pastor Maury Davis has never even contacted the family, never, never even apologized to the family. They're just a forgotten part of his past. And he goes on. So he openly states that he has been forgiven of murder because it's on the record and he, and he can hardly dodge it. But according to the author, Brentley Hargrove, he's very good at playing down the details. So the bloody details that I've just explained to you never come out. And, and of course, he makes the point that God has forgiven him and that therefore he can forgive anyone and that Christ is so uh, good that he's forgiven everyone. The point that we can hardly escape from this is Pastor Davis can hardly avoid seeing the consequences of this agenda that he's promoting in his church, which is rabid hatred and eventually death. And we wonder how how he can consider himself forgiven when he's still out promoting war. And this is the subject that we're going to be bringing up as we go forward with this study. At first we decided we should leave alone his sordid history, but after examining it, I can't get over the idea that, that he can hardly see that what he's promoting is not going to result in, in, in death of a lot of people, not just a few. Well, it does seem like a contradiction. We know that Jesus does forgive sins and people do change their lives, but this certainly doesn't seem to jive, actually, and you wonder. And, of course, only God knows the heart of any individual, including this man. So we don't want to pretend that we know his true heart, but it does, these are valid questions, particularly on a serious matter like this. We've seen it even in our own church. 
just a few months ago, we had a fill-in Sunday school teacher that came. He was a former Muslim who claimed to be a Christian that talked to us about Sharia law in Saudi Arabia. And listening to this, I didn't see any real love of Jesus in his presentation. In fact, he didn't even mention that Muslims revere Jesus, which is pretty amazing. They may not have the same understanding as we as followers of Christ do, but to leave an important item like that out of the equation makes you wonder. It almost sounded like it was deliberate. What is his agenda? People readily uh, were shaking their heads as he was talking, accepting this, and it really, to me, was not right. In fact, what I did is I followed up with a letter to the teacher who was not there and urged him to listen to the recording of it and told him what I thought about this, that it was more of a 99 ways to fear and hate Muslims than to reach out and show the love of Christ to them. This is very common, and these people simply forget that they're in a church, and they forget that part of the script. They forgot about Jesus. That's what they forget about. They never seen the script, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He's supposed to be our guide here and has given us the guidelines. Blessed are the peacemakers. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these things you would think people would that are followers of Christ would pause to think about this. They don't really think about the ramifications. In my letter to the pastor, I used a little analogy of Jesus and the and the prostitute at the temple. Right. Uh, the story, of course, is, implies that since she was at the temple, she was a temple prostitute, and she was accused by the Pharisees, who were, were probably her customers. And Jesus eventually asked the question, who who will be the first to throw the first stone? They want to stone her to death because they got mad at her for some reason. And uh, none of them would throw the first stone, showing that he had convicted them of their own guilt. So their hypocrisy showed up. Uh, And then as the woman went away, he made that statement to her. He said, go your way, you're forgiven, but don't sin again. Now, to say that to the woman, the prostitute, would have been almost a death sentence to her because not just a question of uh, changing a job. She would not be accepted anywhere in the city, the community, anywhere within where anyone knew her. She simply wouldn't be able to find something to do. Prostitution was what she was reduced to, and there was no place to go from that. And that society would be extremely difficult for her, and yet he said, sin no more, and presumably he meant it. Did Jesus mean it, or was he kidding? What, did he just say that perfunctionally, yeah. as we sometimes say a table prayer, or did he actually mean, go away and don't do this again? If you expect to be forgiven, you've been forgiven, but don't do it again. Pastor Marie it has not slit the throat of another woman, as far as we know. I asked the author who wrote the story if he knew of any other incidents. He said there had been some rumors, but nothing that he could put his finger on, uh, some sort of, sort of inclinations of hot temper and things that that he couldn't prove and didn't want to even try to prove, so he hadn't looked any further. But so let's say for the sake of arguments that 35 years ago he slit the throat of a woman and got away with it more or less, and he's now wealthy, and he hasn't cut anybody else's throat. But if he's advocating war and is advocating violence, open violence against a whole race of people, 
is he sinning no more? Uh, that I guess. Well, it sounds mean. like a case of casting a stone towards the Muslims, Leslie. I was going to say, is it a Christian's job to kill anyone or promote war? I don't think so. No, and we need to speak out against evil uh, in in love. He certainly knows all these things. I'm sure he preaches these sermons from time to time. But this hypocrisy is is really quite incredible and something that uh, I think, frankly, the local Muslims are having a hard time with it. They did not know about this. I talked to uh, some of the local leaders there, and they were not aware of this history of this man. They just knew a Christian church had picked up this ugly program that had been thrown out of the hotel. So it's an amazing kind of a situation that I've never encountered before. I've never run into. I don't believe I've ever challenged a man who I knew was a cold-blooded, one-time murderer. I've known some nasty people, but... This may be the first convicted murder I've ever challenged openly. So what is Christianity all about? What is happening here that these kind of things are going on? How can he speak in the name of Jesus in this manner is what I wonder. Okay, well, that was a very good report. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, when you pick up a stone, watch where you throw it. And not in Jesus' direction. Either. And not in Jesus' direction, yes. Or don't use Jesus as the as the reason for throwing the stone. Yes. We see that it's almost implied in the fact that people hosting events like this are implicitly saying that Jesus okays this because they call themselves followers of Christ. It can't be. There's something wrong here. Now, coming back to this conference we're having there, one of these persons... Spencer, he has a little bit of Christianity sort of attached to the very end of his website where he actually mentions Jesus' name. And supposedly he is a Catholic. And in looking further, he's written an article or two where he's gone out of his way to argue that Jesus was violent. So apparently this has come up before with him, and he's trying to cover that base, trying to come up with an answer about the violent Jesus. And maybe we can talk about the quote violent Jesus, end quote, in another session. Yes. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.